0: Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics, coming up. The federal government says it's prepared to enact emergency powers, but also says police need to do their job when it comes to ending the blockades.
1: The solution right now is focused on police forces, enforcing the laws that exist protecting public order in the way that they are trained to do.
0: A Conservative motion to end federal restrictions by March 31st goes before the House of Commons today. We have a motion before this House that would tell the government to let Canadians know when they are going to end these restrictions. Two years into this pandemic and given the current circumstances, it's not an unreasonable request. And Jean Charette says he's very interested in running for the leadership of the federal conservatives.
1: We've seen some interesting developments. You know, when Pierre Polyev uh, declared that he was going to run for it, and we know where Mr. Polyev stands on many of the issues, uh, that prompted a number of, uh, you know, typically Quebecers inside the uh, conservative caucus who see themselves more as, uh, you know, progressives, uh, to say we got we got to go find a candidate that stands for some things that Mr. Polyev doesn't.
0: It's Monday, February 14th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Good morning, Peter. Hello, Mark. So let's talk about what's happening with the blockades as we start another week. Uh, and, And there were some developments over the weekend. Bill Blair, the Minister of Emergency Preparedness, made some comments that I know are going to attract a lot of attention, particularly in Ottawa, where... Citizens uh, are, are feeling, to a large extent, abandoned by the local authorities. Um, and he said the police in Ottawa have enough resources. And th- he described some of their actions or lack of actions in enforcing the law as inexplicable. So let's start there. What we, we've seen, by and large, throughout the pandemic uh, and, and throughout even this crisis, a lot of solidarity between different levels of government. And here was a breach in that.
1: Yes, um, you know, uh, let's be let's be blunt and candid. Uh, that's always a good thing. Uh, the finger pointing is now starting, so if fingers are pointing at the feds, the feds want them to point the other way, and you're going to. I think you're going to see more of that as this continues. Uh, I think it's stunning to see Mark that um, you know a, a protest like this in the nation's capital. that's into week three uh and well it's it's an occupation uh everybody's calling it that let's let's that's what it is um and what did we see this past weekend you know you know who's stepping up to try and protect their neighborhoods it's the residents of those neighborhoods yeah Uh, i'm not sure i've ever seen this i never i've never seen like so fed up are the residents that they're now out uh doing what a lot of people think a police function is which is to shut off intersections and shut off access to try and stop Uh, more protesters, as those numbers swell over the weekend, to stop them from, you know, making their way into more and more neighbourhoods. So, you know, residents have, uh, you know, uh, metaphorically here taken up arms and and taken up the action of of police officers. But you're right, this is a a big crack now in in solidarity. And you not only have Bill Blair, the Minister for Emergency Preparedness, uh, saying... Uh, The police response is inexplicable. He's saying that uh, the federal government uh, is examining very closely the possibility of of invoking the Emergencies Act and um, essentially allowing them to take unprecedented or nearly unprecedented measures to swoop in and try and shut this thing down. So many other stories uh, as well uh, about the police response in Ottawa. And, you know, the police chief saying, I need 1,800 more officers to try and clear this out. We have a plan. And then we have lots of reports over the weekend of people saying that's why there haven't been massive uh, numbers of new police officers sent to Ottawa, because there is no plan. And they won't send anybody else until there is a plan. And so... There's a lot of contradictory information uh, from various levels of government, Uh, but one thing, uh, you know, one uh, refrain seems to be getting louder and louder is that uh, people want the police uh, in the city of Ottawa, the municipal police, to start taking more action because they're looking at what's been happening in places like Windsor and uh, other parts of the country where police have stepped in to enforce the law.
0: Yeah, and I, I know that there will be people who will say there are differences. Uh, the the size of the vehicles at, at the Ambassador Bridge, for example, is different from the the many of the vehicles in downtown Ottawa. But but as you say, there are there are clearly uh, protests and and blockades across the country that have been addressed and dismantled, and and broken up and and yet in ottawa this one persists and it it doesn't just persist in in blocking people's movements and blocking roads but there are concerts going on and hot tubs being being put up and and things like that that are really uh i know they're the subject of some some humor on social media but they're really visible symbols that of who's in charge in the at the moment on the streets of downtown ottawa
1: yeah there's a there's a sense of Uh, you know, to to be fair, you know, there's, I would say there's a sense of lawlessness and it's been, uh, you know, uh, persisting and it's ongoing. And by the same token, I'm sure police are issuing, issuing tickets and, uh, finding some people, uh, But you're right, the images of of hot tubs and cooked tents and, you know, people hunkering down and uh, moving in go huts and, you know, go huts lined up along uh, the office building that houses the offices of the the prime minister in in the capital of a a G7 nation, you know, residents protesting the occupiers, uh, some of the things we've talked about, you know, and it raises a, a question. This was a telegraphed, organized Convoy slash, you know, not just truckers and others that took four and five days to make its way to Ottawa. Police had lots of warning. Everybody sure Monday morning quarterbacking, I guess uh, the Super Bowl analogy is is timely. (laughs) You know, looking backwards to say, why weren't key, you know, access routes to Parliament Hill in the day before they arrived? As they did in Quebec City and in in uh, Toronto, why weren't those blocked off with big cement barriers so that all of that would have been kept away from the center of the city and might have discouraged protesters and, and caused them to turn around or go uh, locate in some other that probably still would have located somewhere around the city, but maybe not right you know in, in front of the parliament buildings, and raises the question for a lot of people you know what if this was a big massive more threatening organization uh, sorry protest with no warning. Uh, you know if police, if police couldn't be all over this thing with all the warning they had, it makes you wonder what would happen if it was big, sudden, and more dangerous.
0: Yeah. Now, interestingly, at the same time as this is going on, of course, um, the, the numbers of hospitalizations uh, across the country due to the latest wave of COVID, Omicron, have gone down. And there are people saying and there are provinces that are taking steps to remove some of the restrictions that are in place. And 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 there are people now calling for the federal government and others to uh, to set a timetable for uh, the lifting of all further restrictions. And there's going to be a motion in the House of Commons about that today. So the the timing is interesting, but it but it is also a relevant story on its own
1: yeah there's a there'll be a vote on this conservative motion this afternoon in the House, and what I'll be watching for is how many liberals might support it uh We saw last week some cracks in that. Uh, in the liberal solidarity about uh, you know restrictions and federal mandates, and to be clear uh, there's a limited number of you know mandates the federal government is responsible for most of the restrictions on people's lives during the pandemic uh, have been imposed by provinces but this motion calls on on the prime minister and his government to put before Canadians a plan for when the remaining federal mandates and restrictions will be lifted, and they want that plan presented to Canadians before the end of this month. So I'll, I'll be, you know, it's a conservative motion. So obviously they'll support their own motion. Looks like the Bloc will as well. Um, we'll be watching the NDP to see which way they go. But as long as the Bloc supports the conservative motion, it'll pass. So the question becomes then, uh, what happens to some of those Liberal backbenchers who've spoken out to say, yeah, uh, I think we're up to two or three or four of them now at least that have said, yeah, I'd like to see a plan too. So how big is that vote? You know, how big is that group of Liberals? that might actually support this motion in the House this afternoon saying, we want to see a plan.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. All right, before we go, Peter, um, let's talk about the conservative leadership race so far. And I know that there are conservatives who have been uh, looking for an alternative to Pierre Poiliev, who has declared his intentions. Uh, There are those who, who want to see someone else in the race who maybe is more of a, a uh, uh, red Tory or a more centrist um, kind of conservative, um, and Jean Charest, the former uh, progressive conservative federal leader and former premier of Quebec, his name has come up, and he said he was thinking about it on the weekend. Um, so, where do things stand with that, and and with the race in general?
1: Well, I think this is the uh, this is you know the debate. Uh, taking place within the Conservative Party, and really, really taking place within uh, the Conservative Caucus uh, on Parliament Hill, and that is uh, what some have described as sort of the battle for the soul of the party. Uh, you and I have talked about this. Uh, you know, the, the, the Canadian Alliance and the Progressive Conservative Party, you know, came together 20 years ago to form Canada's Conservative Party, and a lot of people are, are concerned that uh, that you know, uh, you know, the battles we've seen, leadership battles we've seen in the last. You know, um, a few years since uh, Stephen Harper left as leader and was defeated in the election in 2015. Uh, are really wondering you know which 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 what the party wants to be is is it a party that's got a large it'll always be a party or uh, likely to be a party with a large contingent of uh, social conservatives and is it going to stay uh you know faithful to uh, the issues they support largely on the on the you know right side of the spectrum or uh is, you know are you are Progressive Conservatives really feeling like they have a home. So we've seen some interesting developments. You know, when Pierre Polyev uh, declared that he was going to run for it, and we know where Mr. Polyev stands on many of the issues. Uh, that prompted a number of, uh, you know, typically Quebecers inside the uh, conservative caucus who see themselves more as, uh, you know, progressives, uh, to say we got we got to go find a candidate that stands for some things that Mr. Polyev doesn't. So they're kind of doing that. Well, they're doing it openly, but it's it's not like yet we have heard in anybody but Pierre Polyev movement from some of these people. But depending on where the race goes, we might. Jean Charest is interesting because like he said no. Uh, there was a draft, you know, Charest movement. Uh, In in 2020, uh, when Ernold O'Toole was chosen as a leader, he said, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, And now he's thinking about it more seriously again. So I'd be curious to hear what his decision is and why it is what it is. Uh, because if he's in, uh, it will be a demonstration that he thinks there's something at stake that needs to be saved with inside the Conservative Party. And if he's out, uh, it'll say one of two things, that he he doesn't think that there there needs to be a, a prominent uh, progressive candidate in the race, or he uh, thinks that a prominent progressive candidate such as himself can't win.
0: Mm, very interesting. All right, Peter, thank you for joining us today.
1: All right, Mark, take care.
0: That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. The eyes of the world are upon us right now. And what they are seeing is not who we
1: are. It's not what Canada is about.
0: Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues, For there to be unity, politicians need humility. The Sun writes, For the past few weeks, we've been witnessing very heated disagreement about the rules that have governed our lives for the past two years. Politicians have shared their various concerns about these protests and have made a lot of good points. But we just hope they realize their words apply to them as well, not just to everybody else. If Canadians are going to come together again after all of this is over, the politicians will have to meet the people in the middle. In the Toronto Star, Chantal Hébert argues, centrist Conservatives may have found their champion in the battle for the soul of the party. Hébert writes, For the many Conservatives who supported Erin O'Toole's efforts to recast the party along more mainstream lines, the scorched-earth brand of Conservatism Pierre Poilievre practices is a non-starter. They are looking for someone strong enough to beat him. It's an open secret that Jean Charest, has always harbored prime ministerial ambitions. And these days, it is easier to see a path to ousting the Liberals from office in the next election than it was two years ago. From Charest's perspective, that makes for an even stronger temptation to run. At The Conversation, Heather Nickel considers the co-opting of Canadian symbols. Nickel writes, Symbols matter to Canadians, so it should come as no surprise that the Freedom Convoy has sparked conversation with their use of Canadian symbology, there are Canadian flags, right-side-up and upside-down, Donald Trump flags, and provincial flags, alongside known hate symbols on the streets of cities and at border crossings across the country. Will more and more Canadians become increasingly uncomfortable with our flag's symbolic content after such public demonstrations and its association with such a toxic brand of nationalism? Perhaps what will come of this moment in Canadian history is, is a new set of symbols, more reflective of our times. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, February the 14th. Tune in to Primetime Politics. Tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.